Welcome to the Berkey Guide Podcast. A uh, couple of quick programming notes. First, due to a very minor oversight in capitalizing a letter in the podcast feed that I made, uh, you may have received an error if you try to download the two most recent podcasts, which were with last year's winner, Caitlin Gregg, and then this year's update with Ben Pop, who's the executive director of the Berkey. So highly recommend you listen to those. Um, the error has been fixed and the episodes should update in your feed. But if not, um, apparently something that worked for people is unsubscribing and resubscribing, or maybe just refresh the feed, and they're always posted at berkeyguide.com. Um, so you can always find them there if you do receive an error in the future, but I'll try to be more caref- careful with this. Uh, those are just links to MP3 files, which you can listen to on your phone or computer. Um, but please let me know if you have any more issues. Info at berkeyguide.com should find me, uh, as should berkeyguide.com on Twitter. That's at berkeyguide. Uh, or my personal email, which is ari.offsevit at gmail.com, if you can figure out how to spell that. As for this episode, um, I'll repeat a bit of this when we start the episode, but basically what happened is I wound up with a grad school research trip to Venezia, Italia, which is also known as Venice, and that lined up pretty perfectly timing-wise and geography-wise with the Marcia Lunga, and who doesn't love a 70k classic race? I found a bib and a place to stay and a crew of guys who skied way more World Open races than pretty much anyone else, and I said the only condition of staying with them that we'd be recording a podcast, and they were happy to oblige, and we did it around a pasta dinner. Um, so that's the podcast, and then at the end I'll have a short uh, recap of the Marcia Longa, and um, yeah, that's about it. We'll get into the podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the Berkey Guide podcast coming to you, well, not live, but coming to you from near Cavalese, Italy, Cavalese being the finish line of the Marcialonga. Um, a quick bit of background, about two months ago, I found out that uh, I got into a grad school class uh, that was doing a, a study on sea level rise and development in Venice or near Venice. And I looked at the dates and I looked up the Marcialonga and I saw, well, it's the day before I need to be in Venice. That, that looks good. And I looked up the distance and it looked manageable. Uh, went through the, talked to the Berkey folks. They had, saw a posting that there were some gentlemen who needed someone to stay with them for the Marcy Longa and had a bib number. Uh, Marcy Longa fills up quite early, but I got a bib number and that has led me to eating a pasta dinner or at least looking at my pasta while I talk. Um, so if you hear sounds in the background of forks and chewing, that's everyone else enjoying their pasta. Um, I'll let everyone here introduce themselves, but I, I, I actually happened upon some of the uh, folks who skied mo- more world loop at races in the world than pretty much anyone else, with, uh, with a couple minor exceptions. But uh, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about world loop at races past and, and potentially future uh, from people who, you know, I've done, I've done 12 Berkeys, a lot of people have done 20 or 30, but these gentlemen have done some of them hundreds of world loop at races and other races. So I'll let them go around the table and introduce themselves, and we'll probably just ask some questions and tell some stories, and, uh, you know, hopefully most of them will be true, but it doesn't matter if they're not. We're going to start with you. Oh, unless your mouth is full. This is all going to be live. I, I could cut it out, but where's the fun of that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> you want full names? Yeah, as yeah. much as you want to give. Uh, Robert. All right. I'll assert, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm from Canada. I'm getting a little older, but uh, still doing World Loppet races. Uh, March Alonga will be my 237th marathon. And I should point out that um, a lot of these Gentlemen will do two full-length, uh, dis- full-distance races in a weekend. I think Trans-Jurassian is 275Ks, and you'll do that? 
Uh, the 50, no, the, the, the 50 it, and a... The uh, Classics is 56, and the shorter skate is 48. Okay. Which is what want, the one I will do. So that's... But you'll still do over, over 100K in a weekend, and that's pretty typical for you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, right. The weekend before is uh, Koenig Ludwig Lauf, 50 on Saturday, 50 on Sunday, and the week after is Gatineau Lopet, same thing, 50 Classic Saturday, 50 Skate Sunday. Okay, um, and now next we have a Brit who lives in New Zealand, or New Zealand anyway. Hi, I'm Mike Turner, and I first went to Norway many years ago, and my boss took me out cross-country skiing, and I got hooked. I started skiing on wooden skis, and later in my life I thought, I, must, I had an injury, I must train, so it was a reason to train, so I trained for the Birkebeiner Rennet, the Norwegian race which I've done five times, and uh, I find it fascinating. I've also been to ski in America and done the Birkebeiner American style twice. And the last time I skied with a, a long-time serving guy, Dave Bennett, who came down a hill and found a snowmobile across the tracks, which was not what he expected. But it's been, being a world loppet skier has just been a fantastic experience to meet like-minded people throughout the world. And I hope to carry on doing it into my 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say, Mike, that you, we were looking at a map last night, you've traveled from further than pretty much anywhere else to get here. We looked at a map and from, if you, if you look at a, the longest distance you can travel on Earth and hit a landmass from the middle of, of the Alps in Italy is New Zealand. So that's quite the trip. Quite a trip, but it's worth it. All right, and uh, let Grant chew his food, and then. <laughs> yes, I'm Grant McLeod, and I uh, hail from uh, Medicine Hat, Canada, Alberta. <clears throat> I got involved in World Loppet skiing about 1985, and uh, at that time I, I purchased a, a passport, and there were only 10 uh, races on the World Loppet circuit at that time. Now there's 20. And uh, that particular year, I uh, did the Gatineau Lopet in Canada and the uh, American Birkebeiner in Hayward, Wisconsin. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get back to it until uh, the 1990s. And for about uh, five years in a row, I went to the American Birkebeiner and skied that. And uh, then I uh, didn't get back to it until 2004 with a trip to Norway organized by our club in, uh, in Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, and following that, the f uh, following year, I uh, organized my own trip and did four races starting in uh, Finland, uh, then moving to uh, Sweden, uh, Switzerland, uh, and then back to Norway. And uh, had pretty good success that year, and every year since I've uh, uh, come to Europe and done uh, four or five weekends, and and in some years I've uh, stayed for the winter, which was two months. Sounds sounds rough. Um, and, and your itinerary, you're, I'm uh, I'm going to be back in the states in about a week, and the rest of you all are going to be doing. Uh, Robert, I think your itinerary is the sort of the, the, the meatiest of all, but what, what races are you doing this year? Um, after, <clears throat> I've already done Berkey Open Track, and then this weekend, March Alonga, 
Next week weekend will be the König Ludwig Lauf, followed by Transjurassien the following weekend. Uh, home to Canada for Gatineau Lopet, and then uh, to the American Berkey. Uh, the following weekend to Poland for their races. Then uh, the Engadine, and finally Birkebeiner Rennet. Okay, that's pretty good. The other, uh, the other of you are doing at least a couple more. I'm uh, uh, Grant. I'm staying in uh, Europe for the winter, and uh, uh, next week uh, I'll be moving with Robert to uh, Oberammergau for the Kunig Ludwig Lauf, then uh, on to uh, Czech Republic uh, for uh, three uh, races there. Then uh, the following weekend I'll be moving on to. Uh, Estonia for the Tartu Marathon, followed by uh, the uh, Finlandia uh, on the following weekend. And then I'll uh, hook up with uh, Robert again uh, <laughs> in Poland uh, uh, on the following weekend, and uh, we'll do uh, three races there that weekend. And then uh, we'll go to... Uh, uh, Switzerland for uh, a couple of races, and then uh, off to Norway for uh, the finish up of the season. Okay, so your your schedule is just as stacked as his is. You're just not flying <laughs> back and forth and the, across the yeah, Atlantic again. Yeah, I, I, uh, I just wanted to avoid the jet lag twice. And I, I'll say my 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 circuit is slightly shorter. I'm going to go with Robert and Grant to Germany. Czech Republic, Estonia, and Finland, and then I have to go back home to do some fishing before the season finishes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you've been to Hayward, Wisconsin. You know, there is a been, yeah. big fish there celebrating the yeah. fishing they have there. The lakes usually don't melt out until April or May. You, you, you are all married and have very understanding wives. Is that is that the case? We're all married. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they probably won't no, listen to this, no but just in case. In <laughs> yeah, um, my, my wife's fairly understanding, and uh, <laughs> she can entertain herself pretty well. So, in, uh, in a recent, well, recent podcast that was recorded last year, a friend of mine, um, you know, so the, the the Main Street podcast after the race, they asked how his race went. He said not so good, and proceeded to blame both of his children. I asked about his wife. He said, "No, no, Emily's perfect." So <laughs> that's uh, that's probably where you want to be on something that might be. Um, might be live, but so I guess and then the next question: you've, you've all skied most or all the marathons. Is there any 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 race that's your your favorite or best best organized, best scenery? And what 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 drives you to keep doing more and more of them? My favorite race is Birkebeiner Rennet, and it's mainly because of the um, emphasis placed on age groups. Uh, the older you get, the uh, slower you get, um, but. In Norway, they put great emphasis on doing well within your own age group. So that provides a continuing motivation, which I thoroughly enjoy. So not just to ski, but actually to push yourself and try yeah, to ski fast. To push myself and try to at least uh, place well amongst my peers. Yeah. And I, I would concur with Robert. For I, I have great sympathy and understanding of Norwegian people having lived and worked there. And it started me off on the cross-country ski trail. Birkbeiner in it, I think, has everything. It has a, a, a superb terrain, and you finish in the Olympic Stadium, and the people are just so enthusiastic when you're skiing past. 
offering you liquor and sausages and <laughs> it's just an experience. Are you going to stick with the, the no, whatever? I, you gonna... I'd, I'd have to go with the Tartu Marathon in Estonia. It's a, it's a what I'd consider an ideal uh, cross-country course. In some ways, it it rolls up and down uh, like the American Birkebeiner, although the hills are not as uh, difficult. So you've you've all done the American Birkebeiner multiple times. What's your what's your experience there? How does it is it similar or different to the various other races you've you've done? Uh, what I find interesting is that it's a it's never a boring course. It's up down with lots of twists and turns, and some of the others are a little too straight. Uh, so that that to me is the uh, best part of the Birkebeiner. Yeah, the the Mercy the, the Mercy Longer that we're doing uh, on what not tomorrow the day after is looks like it's up a hill and then down a and hill then and then it's up a hill. Pretty straight for fifty yeah. k with the odd little curve here and there. Yeah, but generally speaking, you can double pole and it gets kind of boring in some yeah. ways, yeah. except think, for going through the towns. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the character of the March along is the is going through the, the yes. streets of the various yeah. villages along the route. The, the track itself is not as interesting, uh, but when it passes through a village, it becomes extremely interesting. If you're lucky, you will get cheered by name, because people will look up your number on the uh, start list and call out to you. And, uh, and I'll, I'll speak for all of us and say that the views here are pretty good. Uh, oh, it is a rather strong. spectacular course, yeah. yes. Yeah. Are there, I, I assume that the Engadine, there are various others that have similar... Engadine is very spectacular. Yeah. Um, Fosfaten in Iceland is also very, very interesting. Yeah. As is the Hobbit. Yeah. And uh, what about the Merino Muster? Well, I have to say, put in a plug for the Muster. You must come because it's... Um, one of the finest race courses in the Southern Hemisphere, and the snow has been very good the last few seasons. It's above the tree line, and we have spectacular rocky scenery. And, and you there aren't too many sheep, although it's a merino muster. We haven't seen too many. We can see an odd rabbit, but that's about it. But my memory of the Birkebeiner, American Birkebeiner, was the courtesy and the politeness of the people. As a Wave 70 man, you know, the young kids go past and they say, awesome Wave 70, you know, and I thought, skier down, it wasn't me, but it was just, they were so nice and friendly. Yeah, yeah I, I found the same thing about the American Birkebeiner. I was in Wave 70 last year and being cheered on by much younger skiers as they passed by me. Uh, but I, I uh, skied the... American Birkebeiner quite a few years ago, and uh, uh, it it was uh, I, and I had uh, pretty good starts, like in wave two, and uh, it it was a, an amazing race at that time, uh, uh, climbing some of the hills and uh, the ups and downs of the course. Now, and you skied your first American Birkebeiner <coughs> in the eighties, you were saying? Yeah, nineteen eighty five, and at that time. Uh, it, it was a, a classic event, and uh, that particular year it uh, started in uh, uh, near Hayward, uh, I think it's a place called Rosie's Field, and and uh, went to uh, Telemark. Yep. Yeah. 
Now, did it start? It started in Rosie's Field. It didn't go. It didn't go across the lake. Across no, the, lake uh, the, the lake, lake uh, was, was not frozen. Yeah. apparently that will happen every so often. Yeah, a little liquidy, and they've ended in Rosie's Field now. But so you've done it in both yeah. directions. Yeah. Do you, do you do you like one better than the other? Or can you remember that was about twenty five years ago? Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I think it's just as difficult in either direction. I would imagine that if you ran skied it the other direction now, starting up all those hills. Yeah, would be would be interesting. Yeah, it, it, I was a lot younger then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the uh, another question is: you've you've all skied all these races. Do you each have a one or or more memorable experiences or memorable mm. things that happen at a race on the way to the race, drinking the bar after the race, before the race, before uh, the race? Yeah, in the Engadine a few years ago, uh, the. Standard procedure was to arrive early and put your skis in the gate, uh, which I did. I, I, at that time, I was starting in Elite B. I put my skis, even when I arrived, about two hours before the start, I was already in the second line. Uh, and then I went <coughs> off to a local hotel to stay warm. Not, no booze, mind you. Uh, I left the hotel a little bit too late and realized it as I started back. It was about kilometer to the gate. So then I had to run to the gate and of course by then it's completely full with about 1500 skiers and uh, very difficult to find my skis. I'm getting close to panic and screaming Fisher, Fisher and someone held up a pair but they weren't mine and then with about a minute before the start I found my skis and I just got the second strap uh, into my uh, on my pole, and uh, the gun went off. The guy behind me said, "Perfect timing." <laughs> <laughs> my attitude was that it was very imperfect timing. I don't think my heart rate was nearly as high any time during the race as it was <laughs> at that moment. Spike the heart rate monitor before the race, and then have a <laughs> cool down the rest of the way. Just about yes. Maybe that's a good uh, one of the one of the better Berkies. Oh, I can't remember if that was. One of one of the Berkeys I've skied was when in, in the U.S. was when the uh, when the buses were all delayed and I made my start by eighty seconds. Okay. Um, you know, and, and including, I, I guess we've if you've listened to past podcasts, but including just you know running out of the bus down. Actually, I I, I think we've just, I don't know if I've ever discussed this on the podcast, but it's about between about five and fifteen degrees. You put some whiskey in your water bottle to keep it liquid, and so. I was on the on the bus in the front row, and I had to prepare everything. What will I hold bag to throw in a truck to when I jumped off? Poured the whiskey. So I stood up in the front of the bus, about fifty people behind me looking at me. Took a nip of whiskey, poured it into the water bottle, screwed it off, and then just ran off the bus like a crazy person. And threw a bag at the start, peed probably on the start line, and skied off. <laughs> when I had Elite Wave bib on, someone came up to me after the race. We were in the back of the bus, and we see someone with the three-digit bib stand up, pour whiskey into their water bottle, and shoot off the bus faster than we've ever seen anyone run on a school bus before. The rest of the bus was impressed. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I'm glad I can help them out. I was just trying to make the start. But, um, yeah, I guess getting warmed up that way isn't the worst. Perhaps not, yeah. but I'm not going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the point for the Marcy Long is, let's get there on time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Marcy Long is interesting in that all the every every little town that people stay in has a bus, so you will walk to the center of town and there's one bus, we better make that, and that'll take us right to the start. And then yeah, we're actually yes. only about a twenty five minute trip from the end and uh 
I think next year you might need people to uh, might need to find more people to stay. So if there's anyone interested in a, in a yes, Mercy Longa trip, we rent an apartment uh, as was just mentioned about 25 minutes walk from the finish line, and uh, it comes complete with a uh, quite good waxing facility, and uh, it and four start numbers, which are rather difficult to get. However, uh, we need to know by early March. Uh, if anyone has an interest in it. Yep, so factually, if anyone's listening to this, interested in the Mercy Long next year, shoot me an email. Um, I think, go to the Berkey Guide website, there should be a contact form, send that email and I can connect you and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start start the bidding if there's a lot of interest and see where we get to. <laughs> no, well, there won't be bidding exactly <laughs> in the sense that it, the price is the price, uh, exactly what the uh, organization charges and then, of course, we just split the apartment four ways uh, and if people are inter interested and it suits them um, there could be transportation back and forth from the airport depending on their schedule next year I plan to do Dolomit and Loft then come to Marchalonga then go to Koenig Ludwig and then probably go home yeah and I will say it's a, a quite nice uh, quite nice facilities here and um, and the skiing's been pretty good and the, the scenery is is unparalleled so mm -hmm. Uh, you, you gentlemen have any uh, any any yeah, I, I had one memory. It was not the start of a race. It was the finish of the race, the Tartu Marathon, in two thousand and ten. It was very cold, and at the end of the race, they served warm beer. The beer <laughs> was as warm as tea, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Around the fire, it was just a way to finish. That's that's something maybe we could get in uh, in Wisconsin on a really cold day. <laughs> New Grant, any, any stories? That well, mind? one of the craziest stories I remember is uh, uh, I, we were skiing in uh, Finland uh, one year, and uh, I think it was Robert suggested, oh, we could get over to uh, Sweden and uh, <laughs> uh, by Monday and, and, and ski a race. So we skied a 50-kilometer classic race in, in Lakti, and... Uh, and on Saturday, then a 50-kilometer free technique race on, on Sunday. And uh, right after the race, we uh, jump on the bus and head for the uh, airport and fly to Stockholm and uh, rent a car. And, and we end up in Mura uh, about uh, midnight. And... Uh, catch about two hours sleep and by three o'clock in the morning we're on a bus headed for sailing the start of the 90 kilometer open track there mm -hmm. so that was uh, 190 kilometers in three days <laughs> yeah and and the next weekend oh <laughs> we uh did the <clears throat> big piasta 50k classic on saturday jumped in the car drove to munich slept for a couple of hours Got back in the car and drove to uh, Pontresina, caught the bus to the start, and did the Engadine Ski Marathon. <clears throat> so, when, when we were advertising this, this apartment, if you want to come and travel with crazy people, um, <laughs> or, or dedicated, dedicated skiers, skiers not, not people who, in retirement, you really should aspire to be like, because um, going, going to Europe and skiing all winter... Is something that not many people do. I think we have the U.S. ski team, 
and uh, a few of the World of a Bit sort of circuit skiers. But it must be fun. You, you probably meet a lot of the same people and, yeah, sure. and know a lot of the people and the race organizers, so that must be a good, yeah. uh, fun part you, of it. You might suggest we're older and wiser now. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're just the dream. And we've, yes, I've met a lot of people, some of whom I've uh, known for years now on the course. In fact, the very first trip I made here, I met a skier that I, I'm still in contact with on a regular basis, so that's 25 years. Wow. It's a fellowship of skiers, it really is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a world fellowship, and it's good to nations and people from different countries to meet together and enjoy a common experience. Yeah, it's sort of like the, the Olympics for people who are never oh, going to make the Olympics. Well, yeah. uh, for instance, uh, when we get to Birkebein or Rennet this year, uh, there are seven of us in a cabin at Shushan. There'll be three Canadians, one American, two Australians, and one from Poland. And these are all just people you've met through? They're all people we've met over the years at various races. Yeah, well, that sounds great, you know? It is. But Robert has one person he doesn't want to share in a We don't have to get into that. Well, thanks very much. I think we, were, we finished all the pasta, or as they'd say in Canada, pasta. And, um, uh, you know, how, are you, how many of you are seeing the American Birkbeiner? To Robert. To oh, Robert. No, no, just, just, oh, just myself. Robert. Right. These two will be busy at the Finlandia, which is the same right. weekend. Okay, so um, Robert will see you in Hayward, and Thank the rest you of you, good luck, uh, good luck tomorrow, and then next week, and next week, and next week, and next week, and down the line. Yeah. All right, thanks. So now for a quick recap of the race, since the podcast was uh, recorded before. Um, really civilized start. We got up and uh, get up, there's a bus in each of the little towns, and it all goes to the start, drops you off. You actually the, the course goes up and down a valley, so the downhill course, which is about 40k point, is actually right by the start. So warmed up there a bit, went over to the start. And the way that they do the start is that other than the elite wave, it's a rolling start, and so you're actually in a pen with your skis off by the side of the start area and you're given a time and in that pen they sort of open the gate and as you go out of the gate um, you just go into the tracks and you can put your skis on wherever you are and start whenever you are and your time starts when you cross the line so instead of you know having several hundred people and saying go and having a bunch of broken poles they just sort of have a a rolling start seems to work really well um, but they also have a trail that narrows down quite quickly Uh, in fact you get up to a herringbone hill about a kilometer in um, and go up there Really beautiful scenery. You're in the Dolomites. Um, not a ton of snow this year. Some up at the top, but the rest of it was mostly man-made, uh, which is sort of normal for this race. Uh, it did start snowing apparently later in the day as the last racers came in, and there's now some snow in the valley there. Um, first 20 miles is first 20 miles. First 20 kilometers is gradually uphill uh, to the town of Kanazai and um, goes through a couple of town centers, some of which have some tricky downhills, and some of which have very narrow streets. So uh, there, there are some streets there that you drive on that are about the width of a car, and there are some places where the street is just about two ski tracks wide. Um, goes up to Kanazai, turns around, then comes down the valley. Now, I uh, decided to go with skis with wax on them, and that was probably a good decision for the uphill, and I thought the snow would be abrasive enough that I'd lose my wax at some point, but I didn't. So I had good kick on the uphill, um, and then coming down, I had 
good drag coming down for the next 40 kilometers. Um, there are a couple of pretty steep uphills uh, that you sort of have to get in the herringbone train on since they're narrow. Um, and then some pretty good downhills. Nothing too scary, but they certainly get scraped off, uh, scraped down ice. Um, you go through several more towns. At one point, there is an aid station that is in a tent. You ski into the tent. The tent is heated. Uh, the people in the aid station seem particularly happy about that, although it wasn't cold. It started at about minus 3 Celsius, and it went up to about plus 3, and my skis got even slower when it got up to plus 3. got passed by a lot of people on that downhill. Um, you go through the uh, Tercero de Lago, uh, or whatever it's called, the, the Val de Femme um, uh, uh, Stadium, where we'd actually warmed up the day before. And uh, you don't go on the race trails there, but you do see them. Make a loop through there and then keep going down the valley. And you actually go by Cavalese to the, uh, by, by about three kilometers, turn around and come back. Um, there are some road crossings. There are a lot of places where there are bridges or tunnels under roads. So that's something I think the Berkey's looking to do. Um, but certainly more road crossings in the Marcialonga than, than, than the Berkey. And then you come up to the base of the climb to Cavalese. Now, the course has been mostly flat, mostly downhill until this point. It is a 200-meter climb to the finish. But they have a clister station, and the clister station is the most wonderful thing because you take your skis off, and it's actually a great time to drink some water and eat some chocolate they've given you. You stand in line. There are only about three people in line. Give the techs your skis, and shout out to Toko for being the, the, uh, the WAC sponsor. And they take your ski, and they have the revolving thing that picks up clister out of a big vat of clister, which looks totally disgusting and put it on your skis, and they put it on the ski, and then actually put the skis on for you, which is great, because after 66K, you really don't want to lean over and try to put your ski on. And then you run up the hill. Um, I had terrific kick going up the hill, and I was a super happy camper, and I passed about 100 people going up the hill. Um, anyone who was double pulling was not having fun, because it is a steep hill. Think bitch hill, but longer. Um, go up the hill, cross the finish line, and it's sort of like Hayward. Uh, festival atmosphere, there's food vendors, there's there's beer and there's wine. I actually didn't get to take in nearly as much as I wanted to because I had to run back to the um run back to the finish and uh or run back from the finish to where I was staying and um uh, pack up to get to a bus to a train to a train to get to Venice because I needed to be in Venice by the evening. It turned out my dinner was pushed back, I could have spent another hour. Uh funny story, I was I was walking back, I um ran into a, uh, a, a woman who was American and chatted with her for a few minutes. And, you know, she hadn't skied the race, but she had uh, been watching it. And I um, uh, and, and, and we was walking the same place, so we chatted for a few minutes. Anyway, uh, turns out she is uh, lives in Austria. She is Garrett Cousy's wife, Garrett being a former Midwest skier who now lives in Austria. And he actually runs something called Lumi Experiences, which um, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to because he took some nice pictures of the race, uh, of me in the race, and actually was someone cheering for me. I was in a CSU, which is a Boston area ski club, uh, uniform, and, and he noticed it and, and gave a cheer and sent some pictures. Anyway, uh, Lumi Experiences, I think, is um, their uh, website. I'm not going to look it up, and I'm going to uh, dictate this or narrate it as I do it. Yes, LumiExperiences.com. They run trips to things like the Dolomitenluf and the Marcialonga, and it's a great way to get into the race. The Marcialonga is a very uh, Scandinavian heavy race, and most, if not all, of the bibs are sold to tour operators, so it's hard to sort of do it on your own. Um, but there are a few bibs, and there's a few ways to do that, and uh, Lumi Experiences wanted to do that, and um, they they seem to run trips, and uh, as far as I know, are, are good people, so 
uh, check them out. They are not a podcast sponsor, but maybe not yet. They, they, they just took a nice picture of me, and I'm going to give them a shout-out. Um, so, yeah, Marcialonga is a, uh, a great race. The Italian, the Dolomites are beautiful. The skiing nearby is, is pretty stunning, even without a ton of snow. The only issue this year is they had a huge windstorm there, so um, there are a lot of downed trees, and uh, um, not all the trails were open, but that was also an issue of snow. Um, but it should be better in the near future. And the down trees actually mean the views are a little better, but not, not really a trade people there wanted to make. Um, in any case, thanks for listening to the Berkey Guide podcast, and uh, we will have uh, probably a couple more coming to you in the next few weeks before the race. Um, the theme music is from Tusk Lord from the Free Music Archive, and the podcast is produced by me. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, send them to info at berkeyguide.com or tweet at berkeyguide, and uh, we will... See see you soon. Hopefully you'll hear from us soon and have a good trip to Hayward if we you don't hear from us before then. Ciao.